Peak Wealth Management proudly presents Finding True Wealth with certified financial planner Nick Hopwood and accredited investment fiduciary Jim Pilot. Nick and Jim believe by making simple, good financial decisions, you can retire with confidence. And now let's turn it over to your hosts, Nick and Jim. Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to episode 100 of the Retire with Confidence podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm Jim. And this is episode 100. It's kind of exciting. Milestone. Big time. Yeah. yeah. Super exciting. Very cool. Uh, well, hey, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays, everyone. Uh, today's topic is going to be Nick and Jim's plan for 2021, personal financial plan. Yep. Right? Yep. But before we get into there, we'd like to talk about the Peak Wealth Management Best of 2020 Plymouth Award. Pretty cool. Congratulations. Yeah. Very nice. So this is a nice little plaque. We're happy with it. Um, not sure what we did. This is lots of good stuff, right? Yeah, lots of good stuff, but it's, uh, it's nice to be recognized. Absolutely. So there is a disclaimer that comes with this. You can read it on the website, peakwm.com. And one more thing. Mm -hmm. 2021, right? Looking forward. Yeah. I'm growing a big beard. Yeah. What do you think? You got a great start. <laughs> it's looking good. My wife's not happy. No? No. Um, what are you going to do? Are you going to grow a beard? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I should try something. <laughs> I'll go for it. Well, I'll let you think about that. But let's think about 2021 real quick. Mm -hmm. Well, how about, you know, general mindset? So if, if uh, we're thinking about the Jim Pilot, the Jim and Emily Pilot financial plan. Mm -hmm. By the way, is Emily on board with this? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're thinking about the basics, right, like cash flow, mm -hmm. how do you, how do you manage that for the household? Yeah, I think, I think one thing that, that I've started doing over the last couple of years that I've personally found very helpful is expense tracking. You know, we talk to people about that all the time and they, maybe we sound like a broken record, but it's something that I've really, I think it probably comes up every week, right? <laughs> it's, it sure <laughs> seems to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's something I've bought into and I've found really helpful. Um, you know, just being able to, on a month in, month out basis, see what, what's coming in, see what the bills are. You know, I feel like I'm at a spot in life where the kids are, you know, really expensive, having three kids in private school and all these different things. It just seemed like endless expenses. Um, so I found it really helpful to, uh, to have that on a month to month basis. And you can download the template at peakwm.com slash expenses. Yep. Yeah, and I think that for me it's been, for some people I think it's really helpful because it helps uh, them see areas of expenses that stand out. Like, wow, I can't believe we spend this much here or there, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like we've always done a good job and I, you know, I've done most of it just mentally, right? But not overspending necessarily, being, you know, really uh, keeping an eye on the, the phone bills or the cable and right, eliminating those things as they come. But for me it's just been tracking the surplus and figure out, okay, is there a consistent surplus and what can we do with it each month? So as a result of doing this exercise each month, have you changed any of your behaviors or changed uh, your approach to what to do with the surplus? Um, I think it's just, it, it just kind of uh, forced a mindset of um, being intentional with it, right? And not just kind of letting the surplus pile up a little bit or if, if if there's been a couple months of deficit in a row, being mindful of that and, and not uh, taking on a new uh, obligation, right? Yeah. It's just make, make you more aware of the overall situation. One of the other things besides the, ca the cash flow tracking, the expense tracking on that sheet is the net worth tracking. Mm -hmm. And 
I got this idea from Gary Williams, who's the Keller Williams guy. Mm -hmm. uh, he wrote a book back in the day, maybe 15, 20 years ago, called The Millionaire Real Estate Investor. And he talks about how mm -hmm. every week he would meet for breakfast with his, his pal, his uh, accountability partner, mm -hmm. and they would update their net worth each, each week. Right. And, and ask each other, what are we doing to increase our net worth today? Mm -hmm. That's kind of OCD. Yeah. Right. But once a month, I think is fantastic. Yeah. So those two go hand in hand, right? So have you been doing that for yourself? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and they really do, and it's helpful to to see: Am I heading in the right direction? Yeah. Right. Are the debts getting smaller? Is the net worth growing? You know, and there'll be years like this year, right, where we had a terrible February and March, and you and you takes your breath away when you see how much the, the net worth decreased. Um, but it keeps you focused on what you should be doing. You know, in times like that, it's just a good reminder to, hey, this is an opportunity to, to take, if you had any surplus, right, to take it and invest it and try to grow it. You know, things like that. It just keeps your mind focused on building and growing that, that net worth. Couldn't agree more. So beyond cash flow, right, what are the other foundational things, you know, we talk about? I guess we could go into insurance. Right, like mm -hmm. life insurance, disability, long-term care. Mm -hmm. So you're what, 46 this yeah, year? Yeah, just 46, yeah. Okay, so probably too ago. early to look at long-term care, right? But what about life insurance? Yeah, no, life insurance is a priority, um, and, it, and it really became an, a priority, um, you know, right after we had our first kid, right? That's when mm -hmm. it kind of jumps on a lot of people's radar. Uh, but having some hindsight, you know, and looking back, as my daughter, my oldest is now 14, um, it's, it, it would, I wouldn't mind having more, right? So I think that it's easy to, to sign up for life insurance and think you have enough, but I think that as you move along this path in life, right, and, and again, the obligations become more and more and the expenses become more and more, um, I, I would encourage people to err on the side of making sure you have more than enough insurance as opposed to the bare minimum. Well, why don't you sell yourself some insurance? Uh, <laughs> it is on, <laughs> it's on my list, actually. I just was reevaluating a few things and thought I could add a little bit uh, extra to it. So that is uh, okay. one of my 2020, uh, 2021. Plan, 2021 financial okay. plan. Yep. If you would have done it like six months ago, maybe you would add a cheaper rate, though. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> the cost of procrastination, right? Right. How about housing? So housing, um, and this, you know, we'll actually talk about this in an upcoming episode, but debt management, right? How much house do you take on, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like a philosophy for our family has been intentional about paying down debt, mm -hmm. um, so much so that we paid off our mortgage several years ago, right? So that was a priority. Yeah, thank you. How did you feel after going to zero? <laughs> it was great. Yeah, it was really great. And it's, and it's had the effect of now, because it's been... I bet it's been seven, eight years since I've had it paid off. Uh, but now the thought of possibly relocating, maybe looking to, to move um, and, and having to, that decision of do I take on another mortgage is, it, it has some pain involved, right? Do I really want to take on another fixed payment, especially a mortgage, right? Which for most people is their biggest monthly payment. Absolutely. Uh, and if you do at 46, right, you got to be thinking of mm -hmm. your retirement age. So right. if it's, let's just say 65, then if you move when you're say 47 or 46, right? right um, you wanna make sure that you're on like a 15 year mortgage. Yep, right? yeah, and again, keeping with that, that same thought that I just mentioned of being really conscious about debt and making sure you have it eliminated as quick as you can, that is a huge goal, making sure the debt is gone before retirement. So if we do end up looking to relocate or move somewhere, 
uh, that would be a high priority is making sure that we, we do it in a way that has that mortgage gone without question before retirement age. So when you got the house paid off, did you immediately go get a big, huge home equity line and you know, take a trip and buy a new car <laughs> and yeah. go crazy? Uh, I did take out the home equity line, okay. but I didn't use it for several years okay. because I think there's a lot of value in having it as a, as a tool, emergency fund type yeah. thing, a last resort. Um, but I did not did not take a vacation on it, did not take a trip, but used it as a, as a tool, like you said, and just kind of kept it in the back pocket. And again, now I don't I don't carry a balance on it because I just my goal is I just don't want to have any debt. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has also been eliminated, but it's it's still there, it's still open and active in case we need to use it as a tool. Yeah, I, I have the same philosophy with the the HELOC. I mm-hmm. think that it's a great tool if you want to use it to finance your car, to finance right. an emergency, to finance even a rental home. Right, if you have mm-hmm. your house paid off and you have eighty percent, they'll give you eighty percent loan right. to value. Right, I can use that as your downstroke or even to pay cash for a rental property. Mm-hmm. That's how we've treated that before. Yeah. So okay, what. Let's say beyond housing and debt, okay. How about uh, on a month-to-month basis with using your debit card or using a credit card or do you still write checks? What do you do? Uh, no, I, we don't do much in the way of checks, but um, I do. I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guy that stands behind the person in line at the store writing the check with, you know, cringing a little bit like it's taking so long. Can we just move on? Um, we do use a credit card frequently. Um, you know, always paying it off every month, mm-hmm. but just as a, a cash management tool, I guess, yeah. right, is instead of having to constantly hit the ATM or whatever, um, we will use that. Um, but again, through expense tracking, you know, it's really helpful to be able to see every month in and month out if, if you get a little uh, high on month, you yeah. know, every other month or so. How about with investments? We're talking about uh, having a cash flow surplus, right? Mm-hmm. So 401k, Roths, uh, HSA, mm-hmm. um, all, all of the above. Yeah, I, I'm a big believer in Roth. Um, you know, when I started my career, um, goodness, 20, whatever, 25 years ago or whatever, right? It, the Roth was really not, hadn't really begun to become popular yet. I don't actually think it was even. It was like late 90s. Yeah, right? it was not quite available when I was able to, and the, and the limits were lower and everything. So I, I started out my early in my career, put everything in pre tax. Right, so yeah. I, I um, you know, maybe front-loaded it, right? Because, yeah. and that was what was comfortable at that time, right? Is that's what you knew because Roth was still a new thing and hadn't quite been available before the first couple of years. But, so um, I, you know, really focused early in my career on putting away as much as I could. I'm a huge believer in that, of saving as much as you can. The time value of compounding, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like in my pre-tax bucket, because of that, you know, additional 20 years of compounding I'll have before retirement, I think is, will be more than sufficient. So I've recently really focused a lot more of my attention on Roth money, making sure we're making uh, Roth 401, you know, here at, at Peak, we have a four, uh, Roth contribution available through the 401. So I've made sure to do that, um, you know, outside of that, if we can, you know, do the individual Roth IRAs as well, we'll, we'll make sure we put money in those Roth buckets to, to fill that up. Or Roth conversions, right? Those Roth are always, conversions. Always there for you. Absolutely, yep. It reminds me of a case where we had a young guy who was still in his 30s where he said, hey, I'm gonna front load, like mm-hmm. you said, and front load everything into my portfolio, pre-tax and Roth, Yeah. and you know, get it to 
a million, let's say, by age 40. Mm -hmm. and, I, and the guy was sharp. He did his math. He did the math to say, if I can get to a million by age 40, then I know that I won't even have to contribute anything after that yeah. because the million should double by age 50 and then double again by age 60 right. and then plus social security and pension or whatever, it, it would be enough. And on the back of a napkin, that sounds pretty good, right? Yeah. It's an interesting philosophy though, the idea of front-loading everything. Right. You're not saying that you're done contributing. You're just saying, I did as much as I could in my 20s. Right. right. Yeah, and that, and that really resonated with me when he was talking about that because I kind of took that same approach, right? From yeah. my first job, I was fortunate to have a job that, that was, uh, you know, had a decent income and, and expenses were really low. So I did that. I was able to max out every year for the first several years of my working career. And I do feel like I'm at a point now where I don't need to continue to max out to still meet my retirement goals. I, of course, will still contribute and take advantage of all the opportunities matching. And that's what we've done. Like my wife, you know, is working and she has a, a 403B available to her. Um, and we make sure to match, uh, contribute to that so that we can take full advantage of the match on that as well. Absolutely. So when you're doing your own financial plan for yourself and, you know, asking yourself the questions that we're always asking, you know, what are your goals? You know, and one of the big things is, you know, age for retirement and cost of living in retirement and, uh, um, you know, different assumptions like that. Like, how do you approach that for yourself? I think that, you know, it's, it's hard to say what, you know, what age I want to retire at and everything. I mean, it's kind of always in motion, right? Mm -hmm. we, but I think that one of the things that stood out to me as being super important is the flexibility to have control of that decision, right? And I think that's why at an early age I, I, I was big on saving early and making sure you have plenty of money invested so that you have those options open to you, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Maybe I work till 70, right? This is great. We love being in this business because we can connect with people and help people and, and be on, uh, you know, have a relationship with them. So maybe we, you know, maybe I'm in this business till I'm 70, 75 years old, right? Or maybe you want to have the flexibility to, to stop or go out early. And I think that to, to, want, to have those options available to you, you have to be very intentional with your saving as early as you can. That's well said. <laughs> Thank you. I thought you were going to say, I can't take it anymore. I can't stand <laughs> it. I got to be out by 55. I'm going to front load everything. You know, yeah. people here are terrible. <laughs> yeah, right, right. We'll, we'll wait for the cameras to pause. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that what you said resonates with me a lot because if you can front load, I'm going to start using that. Mm -hmm. Front load. Yeah. I like it. Mm -hmm. But if you can save as much as you can and get in the position where you're financially independent and you can, you know, push the eject button at 55, mm -hmm. that's fantastic. And a huge part of that too is... is it doesn't mean that you're going right. to push the button, but right. it means that if something happens where you have a disability or another health problem or a different mm -hmm. family problem, or you never know, right? A lot right. of times people say, I want to work till 65, but they get downsized or they have a disability and they can't. Right. Right. So I think it's fantastic to shoot for that financially independence at, as early as you can. Mm -hmm. And if it, you know, if you're, uh, if you continue working till 65 because you like it, that's great. Right. Yeah. And I think the other side of that is, is starting early with the savings. But again, I kind of mentioned already is the debt management, right? And getting the debt paid off. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a unique situation where I made a, a career change midway through my career, right? Where most people are reaching their peak earning, I decided to start over, right? And if I hadn't taken the steps to pay down debt and keep, you know, obligations as low as possible and to taken the steps to 
to save and build up a nest egg and a surplus that I could use to, to supplement um, that transition, I would have probably never had the ability to do that, all right? That wouldn't have been an option to me. I would have, uh, I would have not been able to, to make the transition into the business that I really wanted to be into. That's a great point. Well, you know, for me, I don't think there's much different. Mm -hmm. We're gonna make a change with housing this year. But uh, other than that, I don't see much of a difference. Um, so I'll, ref I'll have you refer back to the 18, 19, 20 mm -hmm. episodes if you want to learn about uh, the Hopwood personal financial plan. We'll just wrap this up as the pilot personal financial <laughs> plan. Okay. And see, I've been interviewing you on you know, cash flow, insurance, housing, investments, mm -hmm. retirement planning, big picture stuff. Have I missed something? Is there something that um, we didn't cover? Um, you know, I think the one thing that pops up a lot when we're talking to people is HSA. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we're, we're fortunate enough to get health insurance from my wife's employer and they're not HSA eligible. Uh, if they were, I think HSA is a really a great tool as well. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about it before, being mm -hmm. the only triple tax-free investment out there. Um, so that's something we'll keep on our end yeah. as, as we, you know, as that continues to evolve, if she continues to work or not. And what about risk? Investment risk. <clears throat> yeah, that's good. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I have an, uh, an aggressive mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of grew up watching stocks and, and learning about it. You know, I've mentioned this before, you know, with my dad teaching me some of these things at a young age. But um, I have the risk tolerance. You know, we talked about March, February and March, watching the, that net worth really take a take a hit yeah um, but I don't really get too anxious about it I don't really panic about it because I know it's long term I understand risk tolerance I understand the fluctuation in the market I was actually buying as much as I could at that point yeah. I, I looked at it as an opportunity to to even get a little bit more aggressive on certain things you know it's not for everybody obviously but I think that um, it's one of the things that was important through it is is keeping time horizon in perspective and knowing that, you know, whether I want to retire at 55 or not, that retirement money is 15 and a half money. So I knew that it was long-term money. I knew it was going to be there for another 15 years minimum. Um, so yeah, I tend to have more of an aggressive risk tolerance, but that being said, you know, I still am a big believer in, you know, the things that we talk to our clients about are the things that I'm doing. You know, I index our, my portfolio, 90% of it is indexed, right? I keep ETF based. ETF based, mm -hmm. yeah. You, you know, buying S&P 500, buying the, the mid cap index, a small cap international index, you know. I do, you know, buy a few individual stocks here and there for fun, but it by no means is the basis for my financial plan. Without naming any individual stocks, are you a big fan of chasing, uh, Charts which have gone parabolic. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, and I struggle with it because I grew up. I grew up in the tech bubble, right? Yeah. That's when I was most interested in looking at it. And I saw these stocks every day going up ten percent, and it seemed like it went on forever, months at a time, where they just would go up nonstop. And sure enough, eventually the floor falls out, you know. And I still have very vivid memories of some of those stocks that I owned. That, you know, I went from doubling my money to losing ninety percent of it in. It seemed like two months time, you know, it just, it was amazing. And, and, and to be, so I know that it's, it's so, it's so hard. It's near impossible to be able to get in at the bottom and get out at the top, right? Everybody thinks you'll do that. Or if it starts to go down, I'll just get out, right? But it just doesn't work like that. It goes down a little bit and you said, well, tomorrow it'll come back, right? 
then it goes down a little bit more. Well, I can't sell now. It was 10 points higher two days ago, right? And the next thing you know, mm-hmm. you ride it all the way back down. The best example is Cisco. Mm-hmm. Go back and look at like a 30-year chart of Cisco, <laughs> yeah. and you'll see that that parabolic chart mm-hmm. and understanding that the the high price was like 80 or 82 or something back mm-hmm. in March of 2000, and right now it's it's in the 50s. Yeah, and it's it's never made it back. You know, the right. other ones like Microsoft and those guys, they've all come back, but Cisco is like mm-hmm. the poster child of the bubble. They're right. the most valuable company in the world, and they made money, right? But the stock never made it back. You're still down. Yeah. 20 years later. Yeah. The one that stood stood out to me was JDS Uniphase. Maybe people probably <laughs> yeah. don't even know this stock, right? But they were they were huge, and they were the ones laying the the fiber optic pipeline for the internet. Well, fiber optic, right? It was all fiber <laughs> optic, and it was the internet couldn't exist without a company like that, and it and it grew tremendously, right? But so I only mention that to relate it to companies today, right? New technologies today that seem like it's groundbreaking and it is, it's revolutionary, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean the stock will go up for forever. Right. Right. And we can kind of- Price matters. Yeah, it does. And we look at some of these stocks now and whether, you know, parabolically just continuing to increase or these new IPOs that just get bought up to these insane valuations. It doesn't mean they're not in good companies, but like you said, price matters. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jim. Appreciate you shedding light on the pilot uh, 2021, 2020, 2021 financial yeah. plan and mindset. Um, if you would like to work with someone like Jim Pilot <laughs> because you like the way he approaches money, you can visit us at peakwm.com and schedule an appointment online. And next up is going to be a case study on our income conductor strategy. Yeah. So stick around Great. for that. You've been listening to certified financial planner Nick Hopwood and accredited investment fiduciary Jim Pilot on the Finding True Wealth podcast, sponsored by Peak Wealth Management. You can learn more about Peak Wealth Management by visiting peakwm.com or follow on Twitter at nhopwood1.